0: It is always a joy. I I love Family Sundays. Actually, when I came first uh, to to look at Living Truth as a possible place to serve and work alongside uh, the staff here, um, was on a Family Sunday. And and I thought it was such a beautiful thing. One, just to see the kids and youth sitting in service for the worship through music. I thought that was absolutely amazing. Um, I remember this was when Tracy, I believe, was the kids director, and there was a bunch of papier-mâché, I believe, robots or something along the backside from VBS, and I thought it was so cool that these kids built these things, and it was really on display until the parents picked them up, Um, but what I loved was to see the whole family unit as the whole family of the church as one worshiping God, and today we, we continue on with that tradition. Uh, if you saw, we had students from, from, or adults from, from students' age to grandparents back on the stage. We had one of our deacons pray for the offering. We had one of our elders pray at first service. And now we're going to continue on with the tradition with uh, Lincoln McCullen coming up to, to read the scripture for today. Come on up, bud. So good. I love that they bring their own Bibles too. So good. All right. So do you want me to hold the mic for you? Uh, Sure. Okay. There we go. Perfect. If you would, Luke 15. 25
1: through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field when he... Sorry Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this father brother of yours, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found.
0: Great job, Lincoln. So good, my dude. You're an awesome reader. Take a seat, man. Great job. So, so good. Now, like Lincoln read and like Bobby Boyens did at first service, We are going to continue on with the prodigal son story that we actually started last family Sunday in April. And just so you know, we will conclude this series in October, the last Sunday of the month. Now, as we look at the parable of what I think is really the the lost sons that Jesus shares about and tells of in Luke 15, we have to remember kind of everything that is going on. Now, this son, the the focus of the first 14 verses, verses 11 through 22 of this passage, speaks of two sons, but the first son was one who left home that disgraced himself, disgraced his family, and most importantly, disgraced his father. This is a son who essentially said, Dad, I wish that you were dead so that I could have my inheritance takes his inheritance, and then goes to a far country. He, he, he wipes through all his money, spends all of it, and ends up literally with pigs in a trough trying to feed them to make ends meet. And, and in this aspect, we, thre- we see the story have three words, rebellion, uh, of rebelling against the father to getting to this point where he needs to repent, and we read in that first section of the prodigal son story, this repentance, where he, he just knows what the father has done, the father's love, ultimately all of the father, and he goes, essentially, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no worthy, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, or better yet, make me one of your hired servants. As he's in rock bottom, he knows he needs to go back home. And he makes a literal 24 or, or, or 180 degree turn and he makes his way on home. And on the way home, he continually repeats that. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me, make me as one of your hired servants. And yet, when he returned home, something unexpected happened. The father sees him along the way and runs to greet him. That father welcomes him with undeserving grace and forgiveness and love. And yet as we continue on with the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke 15, we look at the other lost son today. And we must remember that that we missed the mark When our outward actions look blameless, but our inward attitude is horrendous. When our words and our deeds look blameless, but but our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts are horrendous, we have missed the mark. And as we look at this parable, we really need to remember who is listening to this in this time as Jesus tells this parable. Not today, but we see in chapter 15, verses one and two, that there are two groups of people listening to this parable. Mind you, remember, this is three parables ultimately in chapter 15. The, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. And there's two groups of people, one being the tax collectors and sinners. That is a group that is interested in what Jesus is saying. And then we have a disinterested group of Pharisees and scribes. And the tax collectors and the the sinners have found joy listening to all the words, literally probably every syllable that Jesus is saying they are transfixed on. I mean, you you go back to the confession that, that the prodigal son probably said as he repeated And then as he's repeating it to the father, remember it says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But but, but he isn't able to fully say everything that he planned because the father runs, picks him up, and embraces him. And I just imagine that the tax collectors and sinners, as they're hearing this story, they, they just can't believe it probably literally thinking, man, I cannot believe this. This is amazing. I want that, that love. I need that. I want a father that loves me just like that. All the while, the Pharisees and the scribes listening, probably being annoyed with Jesus again. And once again, thinking, here we go with Jesus. I mean, Jesus claims to be the son of God. But yet, he is hanging with people that are not pure, that are not clean. And yet, they're transfixed on every word that he says. This is ridiculous. I mean, this parable is powerful. And it's probably at this point in the story that the Pharisees and the scribes are somewhat confident that they think that they have escaped Jesus' focus because really it's been centered on the attention of the tax collectors and the sinners as he's really pictured the prodigal son. But even though most of the time we really fix on the parable of the prodigal son, on the prodigal son, the story does not stop there. These these verses are not really the easiest. And we see Jesus continue on with the story as he tells about the other lost son, the elder son, who is a clear picture of the Pharisees and the scribes. So before we get into the text, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. God, there is no one like you. And so, Lord, I, I pray today we just enjoy you more as we know you, as we understand you, that our love just becomes infectious to those around us. We want everyone that, that knows us to just know of your love, of who you are, of what you have done, Jesus, so they can put their faith and trust in you celebrating you, for there is no one greater. Be with us today as we look at your word. Encourage us, convict us, whatever you desire, Lord, we seek to have your will be done. We ask in your gracious and holy name we pray, amen. So as we looked at the first brother, the prodigal son, the younger brother, we saw three words, right, rebellion, Repentance, or sorry, rebellion, uh, repentance, and, and then ultimately, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking, but um, celebration. Rejoicing was the word. Rebellion, repentance, and rejoicing. Today, as we look at the text, the first word we're really going to look at is discovery. Really, an investigation of a celebration. In, in verse 25, we see the discovery occur as we are finally introduced to the second son. It says, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now imagine the party that the father must have been throwing. This is the father who who essentially had his son take his side of the inheritance and go out. The father... Gave the son his wishes and then watched down the road day after day, hoping to see his son return. And sure enough, we don't know how long after he sees his son. He runs to his son, he embraces his son, for he thought he was dead but is now alive. He was lost, but now is found. Imagine the party. I, I, I talk with some of our, our, our members sometimes. I can't even imagine losing my son. Even when we go like to someone else's house, I always have an eye on my kid. I'm that parent. I know I need to, you know, maybe revive is something I need to go to. Um, But imagine the party that this dad is is having. We had a neighbor last night have an engagement party for someone. And you could hear the, the, the party that they were having. The enjoyment of two people getting married. This party, can't even imagine it compared to that one. You know, you think about it, and I know Pastor Shane's in here, so this is my formal uh, application to the worship team. Just imagine the song, right? Celebrate good time, come on. Then it goes on, I think it's, there's a party going on right here. A celebration that lasts throughout the year, right? That's how the lyrics go. I don't know sometimes the lyrics of songs, so I make up my own lyrics or I just mumble something that sounds like words. My wife thinks it's cute. I don't know what you guys think. Um, But, but there was an extravaganza like no other going on. And now this older son is returning from the fields and he's probably been there all day and the day before he was probably there all day. And probably the day before that, and probably even before his younger brother had left, he'd been working in the fields. Now, we just moved to Norco not too long ago, and and I realized that I have to wake up at like 6.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, to get yard work or, or front yard or backyard work done before it gets even remotely to a temperature where you're like, okay, I could be outside. Imagine how much that older brother felt as he's been slaving away, doing the work that his father had asked him. And then he hears this music. And it's interesting in the text that it says that the older brother, the older son, drew near to the house like the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus at the beginning of the chapter in verses one and two. Sadly though, The action of the older son is like the tax collectors and the sinners, but the reaction like the Pharisees and the scribes. So we keep going on in this discovery and investigation of the celebration. In verse 26 and 27, this description of the party, as as we see it say, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Now we read that the older son does not go home, but he stays away from the house and calls one of the servants about what is going on. Imagine the joy of that servant being able to tell the older brother that the younger brother had returned. I mean, he's seen how how the father has reacted to the younger son returning. Imagine the servants like, "Um, hey, your brother has come home. And and your father has killed a fattened calf for everybody to come celebrate because he has received him back safe and sound. I mean, how, how amazing is that? How joyful of sharing that news would have been. But sadly, that's not the case. I mean, as we think about the older brother, he's always been the responsible one. He's the one who fulfilled all the duties that the father has asked. He's done all the tasks that the father has commanded him in his eyes. He has upheld the interest of the family with honor and well-being. I mean, if you think about it, shouldn't he be the one that's being honored? Is it not fair to to guess that like, he he finds the same brother who has left, that that the older brother may be a little upset that, that the younger brother who left has come back home and now been given the red carpet treatment? After all that he's done, I mean, the prodigal son has come home. The father who has been looking for him day after day to see the younger son come home is now being celebrated. But the older brother who has been in the fields did not know that his brother has come home until one of the servants told him that the younger brother has come home. Besides knowing that the father would be joyful to have the younger son return, sadly, the older son did not feel the same. I mean, if we really think about it, why should he feel the same? Why should he have to share maybe the inheritance that was rightfully his as his other one had, uh, the other son had blown the inheritance that he was given? And better yet, why should the older son have to share the love of the father with the one who thought their father as dead and has brought shame and disgrace to the family? And as the party's going on, especially in front of the village. I mean, if you think about it, let's remember the context. Those who are listening to the parable, the tax collectors and sinners, the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes are, are, are probably thinking, why, wouldn't he go in, why would he go into the party to celebrate? Why would he go in? This son has brought disgrace. This son should not be celebrated. He should be excommunicated. He should be kicked out of the house and made an example of. All the while, the tax collectors and sinners listening and transfixed, thinking, man, I I wonder what that party is like. I mean, if, if I imagine how much love the father must have to celebrate this son after all that he's done, and not just celebrate him in the household, but invite the whole village, that amount of love, what is that like? And if we think about it, sharing in what the prodigal son has done would only make the older brother, the older son, look good. But we can imagine the emotion of the older brother as we look at the next verse. That goes from discovery to really hostility as the sympathy that the older brother should have fails to show. In verse 28, we see the the second son's response to the party, and then the father's response to the son. It reads, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Now in the context of part one, the the prodigal son, we are shocked that the younger son asked for his inheritance and was given it to him. Essentially, remember, thinking that that asking for the inheritance is thinking that your father is dead. We're actually shocked even more as the father gives him the inheritance. And I think we should be shocked even more as the lavish grace that the father shows to the younger son as the younger son returns. And in part two, the other lost son The first moment of shock, I think, is right here. Because remember, chapter three has three parables going on. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the prodigal son. And if you look at each parable, there's three steps. Something was lost, something is found, and then a celebration, right? So lost sheep, Sheep is lost, sheep is found, celebration, lost coin. Something was lost, the coin, something is found, the coin, what happens? Celebration. With the prodigal son, what happens? Son was lost, then what happened? Son was found, what happens? Celebration. What is the shock here? What does the older son not do? Celebrate. Celebrate. That would be a shock to the listeners in verse 28. When the older son refuses to go in, he grumbles, he's irritated by the joyful celebration, which he regards as a disgrace and a dishonor and undeserving. And yet as this happens, his father comes out to him. And maybe the older brother assumed correctly that the younger brother has come home because he's lost all his money. He's ran out of it. Maybe the older brother assumes correctly about the younger brother that he's blown through his inheritance and he needs to be taught a lesson. And maybe if the older brother heard the confession that the younger brother was going to make... Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me or make me as your hired servants. Maybe the older brother would have taken that hired servant as a possible option for him to come back home. And as we look at the verse, verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. We really see the response of the father. His father came out and entreated him. Now we have to remember the context of this time and at this place. That is unheard of. In Jewish culture, at that time, the patriarch would never disgrace himself by going out during a party. Let alone, he would never be caught begging his son to join. He would never have done that. More likely, there would be two options. I mean, imagine the servant having to go tell the father. Um, uh, sir, I, I know this is awesome. Love the music. Food is great. Uh, fat and calf, absolutely a delicious. But your older son, um, he's not, he, not going to come in. The two options, one is, well, if he doesn't want to come in, keep him out there then. Or better yet, he could have said, uh, go get a couple others and drag my boy back in here. But it turns out that the father shows his love to both of the sons by never forcing either of his sons to love him. He continually shows and reminds both of his sons who he is and his love for them. But it's the older son's refusal to the father's plea to join the public, to join the village in that joyful celebration as the younger son has come home. And it's really just like Jesus gently having to to go to the Pharisees and the scribes to, to really help them understand, to welcome, and to celebrate the repentant sinners with joy just as the father is seeking to have the older son rejoice over the recovery of the lost son. And we see that theme of hostility that the brother has, a sympathy that, that, that he fails to make. In verse 29, we see the second son's complaint to the father. His father came out, verse 28 to 29, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now if we look at this brother, this is the good brother. Brother. This is the brother who stayed home. This is the brother who always did his homework. This is the brother who always did the chores before the father asked him, who who studied for hours to get the permit test and never missed a point. This is the the, the brother who graduated on time, who, who filed his taxes and never fudged any of the numbers. This is the brother who never showed up late to work ever, who never showed up late to school or to practice or to theater. He always replied to the emails. He always replied to the text messages too, especially to the parents. He never missed one of those phone calls because, Lord forbid, he never missed any payments He especially never missed church. He was always here at church, and he served four Sundays out of the month, especially because, you know, on on the fifth Sunday, he needed to be there too. And those events on Saturdays, he was always there. Sorry, I think I got a little carried away. (laughs) See, it's the older son who followed the rules. But I think Jesus was making it clear that the older son did these things for himself, not for the father. And if the prodigal son's sin can be categorized as self-indulgence, I think the older son was guilty of self-righteousness. See, if we look at it, I love these words from Tim Keller. Neither son loved the father for himself, they both were using the Father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, serving, and enjoying him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping, them all, to, all, keeping all of them diligently. See, sin is not just breaking the rules. It's also us putting ourselves in God's place. And this reminds me of one of the quotes I love from John Piper when he says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. One way I love to say that is God is most glorified in us as we find our greatest joy in him. But it really caused me to think this week, do we obey God because of what it gets us or because it gets us in a right relationship with God himself? Do we serve the poor? Do we tithe? Do we come to church because we love God or because it will make us feel good? Or that God will give us good things for the things that we do? Do we surrender our lives to God or do we try to control him with our goodness? Could our goodness be our vice? And there may be some people here today, like me, where it's like, um, no, my goodness it is not my problem. We can relate more to the younger son sometimes. But for others, maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. If we could go to the, the painting, has anybody ever seen... The, uh, the Rembrandt painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. We got it? It's right there. Now, in this painting, Rembrandt paints the intimate moment between the father and the prodigal son. And, and I will say he does take some creative license as the younger son returns home. Now, if you look at it, you see some characters in the back, right? Right? some people kind of behind the father as he's embracing the son as he returns. But but if you notice, there's one extra character highlighted on the far right, right? You you see he's got the robes, you, you see he's got the staff, you see he's got the epic beard, the Duck Dynasty Pastor Alex beard, And you also see there's somewhat of a resemblance between that man and the father. The way the face is structured, the beard. You know, as Rembrandt painted this painting, most scholars, we don't know for sure, but most scholars believe that that man off to the right is the older son. And most scholars believe that Rembrandt really wanted to encompass the whole parable of the prodigal son in this painting. So as the father is embracing the son, you see the older son there in the picture. Now, do you see where Rembrandt puts and places the older son? Off to the right, you see him looking down. He's not only looking down at the brother, he's also looking down at the father. Both sons have the same problem. But thankfully, the father responds to both sons with grace. And as the older son says, look, these many years I have served you, as we go back to the text, I never disobeyed your command. We see the older son's reactions show that he served his father faithfully, diligently. He never disobeyed a command. But we see his heart. We see his attitude here in the text. We see three things. One is unrepentance. He believes that he does not need to seek repentance, so he does not repent. I mean, I use this example with our students all the time up in the youth room. 24 hours the last 24 hours from this moment right now, if I take all your words and your actions, and we're gonna go closed caption so we can understand your thoughts that you're having, the feelings and emotions that you have, the last 24 hours, we're gonna put that on the screen. I'll go out and buy popcorn and and, and soda, maybe sugar-free soda for some of you guys, but we're gonna all sit and watch each other's lives for the last twenty-four hours, every word you've spoken, every deed you have done, every thought that you've had, every feeling that you have felt—all those things. Anybody want to? I mean, I, tomorrow the office is closed. I could stay here if you guys want to. No one. One of the kids was like, "Yeah," and then he heard like the thoughts and everything. He's like, "No." Truth is, we're all in need of repentance. No matter who you are, we are in desperate need of Jesus. So we see he has a heart that is struggling with unrepentance. We also see comparison in his heart. He compares his good works to his younger brother. He thinks that that he deserves his father's love, while the other brother, his younger brother, deserves rejection. He believes that he deserves a special reward for, for all the good things that he has done, the, the obedience that he has done, yet misses that he's actually been with the Father the whole time, that all the things that the Father has is also his. And it's not just unrepentance or comparison. We actually really see that, that he has no relationship with the Father His desire was what? To celebrate with his friends. And really between the older brother and the younger brother, there's no difference. They both apparently want to live it up with their friends. This shows that he finds joy really being off with his friends and no joy being with helping, caring, or being with his father. And he has to be with his father just for what it gets him. I mean, it really caused me to think that that is the older brother just mad that the younger brother got all the fun? I think it shows his true heart. Because both of them wanted a party. Now, the older brother, the older son, what did he ask for? To slaughter a, a, a young goat. Really, that marks the difference between what the father has done, which is slaughter the fattened calf. Now, both animals would be eaten entirely. There's a difference, though. The slaughtering of a fattened calf wasn't just for the father and the young son. It wasn't just for, for them, too, and the rest of the family. It was for the whole village, as much as, uh, as so many people as they could bring into to celebrate the return of the younger son. But the older son, He wanted to celebrate with a smaller group, a fewer group, a few people where he says, I might celebrate with my friends. And remember, we have to always go back to the context of, of the passage, the tax collectors and the sinners listening, the Pharisees and the scribes. And I imagine the Pharisees and the scribes were listening like, why is this prodigal getting a party? I mean, Jesus, he deserves to be thrown out. Did you miss the whole part of your story at the beginning? This parable is ridiculous. What is Jesus thinking? All the while, the tax collector and the sinners still listening, probably transfixed to every syllable. I think they're probably thinking, man, what does a fattened calf taste like? I mean, if we think about it, Why is that brother missing out on the party? He's been home, he he knows all that the father has. He knows the father's love. Doesn't he know that already? And as the older son had no desire to celebrate with his father or his brother, he represents what the Pharisees and the scribes do. They gather in small groups and eat in pureness and cleanliness. In contrast, though, Jesus, his celebration is all about inviting everyone in the village, the whole village. That includes the outcasts that would never be invited to the Pharisee's house. And it's interesting, as the older brother states, but when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fat calf for him. I mean, it's unclear how he knows all that to be true. I was thinking, man, could, could that be part of his imagination? Like maybe something that that he would have done if he was the one who went off to the far country. Does it reveal that his heart was actually in the far country all along while his body was physically there at home? Like he was living vicariously through his younger brother? Or or maybe it's the the older brother had heard the talking about his younger brother. He's heard the gossip about his younger brother from maybe someone in the village or, or maybe it was... One of the servants, and you know, he wants to make sure that, that his dad is informed with all the information of what his younger brother has done. And he's not gossiping, but he wants to inform his dad about what his younger son has done. So, you know, he has to take it on his own responsibility. He's not gonna, you know, I'm not doing anything bad, but I want to inform you because we never do that. We don't gossip. Sometimes we inform other people of what other people have done so they know exactly what that person has done. I mean, imagine how much disdain this older brother has as he looks at his father and says, but when this son of yours came home, he can't even call this brother of his a brother." And when the the father rejoices in the bond of the fellowship of the youngest son being restored to him, the older son shows that he never wanted that split to be mended between the father and the lost son, the younger one. The older son cherishes the broken relationship between the father and his younger brother. Also that he could come off as the good son. And as we saw the the discovery of the celebration, the investigation of the celebration, we saw the hostility that the older brother refused to, to accept and to love his younger brother. We see the necessity, a joy that the older brother refuses to make. In verse 31 through 32, we see the response of the father. It says, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Now, the, the father does not respond to the allegations about the younger son's behavior. Whatever the sins that he may have been committed, that he did, is not the point right here. The younger son has been restored. The father now is seeking gently seeking and tries to restore his older son to the family. And we see the father use the language, son. Now the father does not dismiss the older son's obedience and really reassures him that showing grace towards the younger brother does not dismiss or diminish the older son's status with the father or the father's love for the older son. Don't miss that the the father really pleads with the son. He says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. The son has been home the whole time. He has access to everything the father has. He has access to the father at any time. And now that the father has sought out the older son to come to the party, the older son won't come in. And sadly, this shows that the older son never had a genuine relationship with the father. See, in his mind, it's all based on the work that he has done so that what he can get in the end from his father. It's what the Pharisees had missed. Outwardly, They were religious, but inwardly they were estranged from God. See, in this parable, so many people focus on the prodigal son that we actually see two sons that were lost. One son that was a prodigal that was lost, and the other son who was lost that was home. And like in the story, we have... A father, the God, the one true God that is seeking and the saving God. But we have to admit, like the prodigal Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And see, it's in that confession that we feel that embrace, that we feel that compassion. And then it's time to celebrate. And we can see in the verse 32, really the necessity for the party. We see the father's response. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. See, the older brother's bitter complaint serves as an occasion for the father to explain the acceptance of the prodigal son And the joy of embracing him. This is just like the Pharisees' complaint served as an occasion for Jesus to explain God's acceptance of sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, as we wrap up, the the repeating of the conclusion of the first act in verse 24 really stresses the importance of the younger brother being dead and has come to life again, was lost, now is found. As it says, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. I think it's a bit misleading when the dead are now alive, the lost have been found. I think a better translation, and scholars say, is it is a necessity to celebrate and be glad. It's essentially to celebrate and to be glad is always connected to salvation in the gospel of Luke. See, joy is the only option when the prodigal comes home. And we gotta remember that God is throwing a party. He's running towards the lost. He's inviting them in. And for all of us who are trying to do right, to do good things, he's inviting us too to the party. I think the question that we have to ask is, will we come in? Will we set aside our selfishness, our desire for control, our our needing to do good? Will we just join in the celebration? I mean, think about where God is trying to to throw parties around you. Are you helping in that process? Are are we running out to show people the same grace and love that the prodigal son was received with is just like the ones that we have received already? Or, just to be honest, are we kind of standing off in the corner, judging like the Pharisees did? Now, did you notice that that in this parable, there's no real formal ending to it? Like, we don't read what happens to the older son. Jesus doesn't tell us what the older son decides to do. It's really, uh, I think, a major uh, cliffhanger. But I imagine Jesus finishing this parable and he turns to gaze over at the Pharisees. And, And as he says the last words and he doesn't say anything after, he just has this face that says, are you gonna join in on the party or not? See, are are you starting to understand why I said these verses are not easy? Jesus is challenging the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we have to admit this message may be speaking just as strongly to some of his followers today. Are we willing to admit that? Maybe we're willing to admit that that we think that sometimes we think we're better than the person to our left or to our right. Maybe we're willing to admit that we treat God like sometimes he owes us something. No matter who you are, I pray that whatever is holding us back, maybe it's like the prodigal son, maybe we have history in our past, things that, that we don't want anyone to know, and we just come to that confession, of, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we literally, from the mess that we are in, turn a 180 towards him and decide to go to him. Or maybe we've been trying to do all the good things in life, and you know, we never mess up on our taxes and, and turn them in on time, and we're never late to work, and you know, we're always the the, the best parent that everyone ever sees and all these different things. And we think because of our goodness, we deserve something. I pray whatever is holding us back, whether you feel more connected to the the prodigal son that was lost or the son who stayed home that was lost, we find the joy of the relationship with the Father and we go to the party. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I... You are good. Lord, there is none greater than you. And your love, there there is none unlike it. And Lord, I I pray that despite the things that we once have done or, or, or where we're at, we choose you. We choose to go to you. And through your son, Lord, we can. He took our death. He took our punishment on the cross. He did what only he could do through the the life that he's lived, the payment that he took on, our payment that we should have, but he graciously did. Lord, I pray that that we put our trust and faith in you, Jesus, that that despite the things of our past, Lord, we don't look back, we don't run to them, but we ultimately run to you. For Lord, there is the, the greatest joy that anyone can have, and that is founded in you. And so, Lord, I pray we run to that party. Maybe we know people that, that are like the prodigal sons. Lord, I pray that, that we try to be like you as best as we can, knowing that we're gonna fail, but, but we're diligently seeking them out. And Lord, when they come home, we are part of the greatest party ever. And Lord, I pray Maybe we feel more connected to the other son, the older son. Lord, and if we do, Lord, let us remember your promises, your character. Remember, it's it's nothing that we can do. Help us remember that, that what you have done, only you can do, Lord. And let us be thankful for that. Let us not always think of what I have done or what, what, what the list of things I have accomplished or, or what I have done over this person and wow, look at that person. Look how much they serve. Who, why do they even should get any recognition? Maybe we need to come alongside them and say, I hope you know you're loved. Remember the Father. Remember his love for you. For I love you. Help us have hearts that love you that show your love to others. For, For God, you are a great, great father. Let us never, ever forget that. Let us be part of the celebration, never in the fields. Help us in that, Lord. We ask in your gracious and mighty name we pray. Amen.